Thank you, and once again, good day to students and teachers of the Word of God. On our last broadcast, we talked about one of the great doctrines of soteriology, which means salvation, the knowledge or the body of knowledge that deals with salvation. And we spoke there of justification and imputation. At that time, I called your attention to the fact that the great New Testament doctrines that deal with salvation are found mainly in the doctrinal dissertation of the apostle of the Gentiles, Paul. And I say this because of the plethora of uh, sermons these days and talks from the book of Acts, which is an historical or progressive book and does not deal with the doctrinal matters of salvation. When we talk about the doctrinal matters of salvation, we're talking about the operations of the Godhead in the salvation of the sinner. And we pointed out the fact that in these matters, the, the fact is well known that these matters are not preached on, which is evident by the fact that the words used describing the operation are no longer found in the modern preacher's vocabulary. As we said before, these words in the main end in the terms T-I-O-N. I mentioned a few of them when I mentioned regeneration, imputation, redemption, sanctification, justification, adoption. These are all included in the term salvation, which also ends in T-I-O-N, and we have also the term propitiation. Now, the way you know you're not getting Bible teaching and preaching these days is by the absence of these words. For these words describe the operations of the salvation of the saved sinner. And salvation as such being pre uh, preached today throughout America is largely a matter of let Christ come into your life or come to Christ or share your experience with others and similar psychological nonsense. And these things have nothing to do with the biblical matter of salvation. The matters of salvation and the doctrines of deal with salvation are found mainly in the book of Romans and Galatians in the New Testament. And the way you know you're not getting real preaching of salvation is by the absence of the biblical words. The Lord chose a very specific set of words that dealt with these matters, and these words all end in T-I-O-N salvation, adoption, imputation, redemption, propitiation, sanctification, justification, and regeneration. Others that could be used are terms like expiation. None of these words have exactly the same shade of meaning. When we begin to talk about regeneration, of course, we're talking about another phase of this matter. Now, these great New Testament truths that deal with what actually happens to the sinner when he gets saved, these great New Testament doctrinal truths are called sound doctrine. Simon Peter warned that when Paul wrote of these things, some people wouldn't understand them, 2 Peter 3, and they would rest them to their own destruction. The man who spent his time in Matthew, Acts, and James, or the man who spent his time in Matthew, Acts, James, and Hebrews, can never get this particular set of things right, because he is never dealing in the proper context talking about New Testament salvation. He is either dealing with the twelve tribes of Israel, James chapter 1, or dealing with the Jews at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, or tribulation Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10. As a consequence, when it comes to biblical salvation, he actually knows nothing about it. Now, the Bible warned us in the last days, perilous times shall come, and in the last days the Christians will not endure sound doctrine but heaped to themselves teachers having itching ears. We know this by the fact that if you took the average Christian, I'll take the first 50 people listening to this broadcast, 
and ask them to tell me what these words mean I'm about to recite, there will not be one person in 50 that could write back an answer that would tell you anything, including the preachers. Shall I start? Question. What's the difference between redemption and justification? Two. What's the difference between sanctification and adoption? Three. What's the difference between salvation and regeneration? Four. What's the difference between propitiation and expiation? Well, the fact is you don't know. You know why you don't know? Because those are all Bible terms. Those are Bible words that deal with your salvation. And if you're saved, you all know what those words mean more than you know what your name means. And those are the words the Holy Spirit chose to use to teach you the truth of what happened to you when you got saved. Salvation, adoption, imputation, redemption, propitiation, sanctification, justification, and regeneration. And every one of those deals with a separate aspect of salvation. No two of them are alike. Now, in conversion regeneration, we find something going on that's nearly inseparable. The regeneration is the conversion of the sinner to something other than what he was. Conversion could be the act of turning from sin to Christ, but regeneration is the work of God in making the person a new creature when they've turned. Regeneration of the new birth is the instrument that brings us into the family of God and causes us up to be adopted. And the only way a sinner can be born again is born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. The new birth is the door to salvation and consequently to heaven. What is regeneration? Regeneration means a rebirth or recreation, a new birth, a second birth. Regeneration is the creation by the Holy Spirit of a new man inside the old man, and he's called the new man. Like the first birth, it is an event and not a process. Though from the first conviction of sin, the regeneration may cover many days, weeks, or months, or years, the actual birth takes place in a second as one passes from darkness to light, from nighttime to daytime, from death to life. The person has literally a second birthday and begins a new life. God doesn't require a whitewashed job or a shellac or a new leaf. He requires a new life. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. People say, Ruffin, when were you born? I was born November 19, 1921, and I was born March the 14th, 1949. You say two birthdays? Yes, two birthdays. The first birthday, 1921. The second birthday, 1949. Who needs to be born again? Well, Nicodemus had to be born again. He was a good man. Paul had to be born again. He was a murderer. It's not a matter of opinion or choice. The Scriptures teach it as mandatory. The language of the Savior is very explicit and imperative. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He must be born again. Now, as soon as this commandment is made, the devil will try to make you think the new birth is through water. This was done by making you think that the water and the spirit in John were the same thing, which, of course, they weren't. And we've talked about this in other pastors. There is no water baptism mentioned anywhere in John chapter 3, verse 1 to 16. There is no mention of water baptism anywhere connected with the new birth within ten verses of the new birth, before it or after it. People who have a water fixation often read baptism where they see water and read water where they see baptism. The Bible believer 
never says water unless it says water, and never says baptism unless it says baptism. But we have two great heretical groups that were raised up by Satan to mess up the new Christian, and these two great satanic groups that both profess to be, you know, the real church that Christ founded, teach the new believer two heresies. Number one, he couldn't have the Holy Spirit or be born of the Spirit unless he was born again in a water baptismal pool by the city sewer system or the city fluoride system, baptized by one elder of one denomination. And the other heresy was that he couldn't have the Holy Spirit unless he blabbered like a Pentecostal Jew under the law at Pentecost where nobody knew about the new birth or blood atonement. Now, these two worldwide international heresies are taught throughout the United States, and they're taught to talk the Christian out of the belief that the Holy Spirit dwells in him when he comes to Christ and is born again. There is no exception to this rule. There is no substitute for the new birth. To fail to be born again is to be lost. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature, Galatians 6.15. To become a new creature is not to be baptized. The expression, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, is not found within ten verses of water baptism either way. When dealing with a new creature in Jesus Christ, the new creature, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, nothing is mentioned about water baptism within five chapters of any reference. Now, the peculiar teaching that water can put you into Christ is just about a while of foolishness you ever picked up in your life. This ancient pagan heresy is called baptismal regeneration and was taught by the Carthaginians in North Africa before the Council of Nicaea. These water babies in Africa thought that a man could be born again by uh, getting in water and that water would put him into Jesus Christ. Uh, they taught this heresy in Carthage, Africa in the 2nd and 3rd century by simply reading the word baptism into John 3 where it didn't occur. So these poor, unsaved, ungodly people who profess Christ and let Christ into their life, and these poor, hell-bound sinners who talked about believing in Christ, went to hell by putting words in the Bible that weren't there. We call this ancient pagan heresy baptismal regeneration, and it is simply taught by reading water in Romans 6, where there is no water, by putting water in Galatians 3, where there is no water, and by putting baptism in John 3, where there is no baptism. That is the quickest way to hell is by perverting the Word of God. This ancient pagan heresy was taught throughout the church age, and these people who lived in their sins and died in their sins thought they became new creatures by getting dunked. Jeremiah 13:23 said, Can Ethiopian change your skin of the leopardous spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. It is impossible without a rebirth. For the heart is a sequel above all things and desperately wicked. Only can God can give a man a new, clean, pure heart, and the universal sinful condition of man demands a change, and the change is a new birth because the first birth is wrong. Holiness is foreign to natural man. It can only be obtained by sharing God's nature, and this demands a new birth from God. The new birth is not water baptism. Water baptism is a church ordinance signifying that one is a Christian and has already died with Christ, already been buried, already risen, and is now living with Christ daily. And if you count a water baptism to save you, then of course you are perverting the Word of God, because water baptism is never mentioned within ten verses of justification, redemption, imputation, or regeneration, or anything like it. You'll never find the term water baptism connected anywhere with a new birth anywhere in either testament. The new birth is not reformation. Reformation is the act of the old nature of turning from certain evils, while regeneration is the supernatural act of God. 
It is a spiritual crisis, a revolution, a complete about-face. It is a spiritual quickening, a new birth, a new creation. Now, from Genesis 1 and 2, everything brought forth after his kind. So sinners beget sinners. You cannot alter the old nature or reform it or reinvigorate it or crucify it, culture it, culture it, exercise it. You need a new birth, the impartation of a different kind, God's nature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And you have to be quickened who are dead in trespass and sin. The new birth is a change from death to life, not from water to land. It is not a reformation. It is a spiritual resurrection, not a dunking in the bathtub. You were born the first time physically of water. The second birth must be a spiritual birth of the Spirit. The first birth is of water because life came from water, Genesis 1. The first physical life on this earth came from water, Genesis 1. Therefore, physical life is always connected with physical water, Genesis 1. Therefore, a water birth of physical water always has to do with a natural physical birth, and water baptism could no more save you than it could save a tadpole. And that's why it's never mentioned in connection with salvation except as a figure, 1 Peter chapter 3, and never mentioned in connection with regeneration anywhere in either testament. In Mark 16, 16, you are specifically told that the thing that determines your damnation is not your baptism, it is your belief. And even where he said he that believed on the baptized shall be saved, he is very careful to tell you in the rest of the clause that your damnation has nothing to do with whether or not you're baptized. He that believeth not shall be damned. Water baptism is not a figure in your condemnation. Now, the agents used in the new birth are, first of all, the Word of God. We read in James 1.18, of his own will he begat us with the word of truth. Simon Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And one reason why so few people are born again today that even talk about it through modern preaching is the New Testament doctrines of salvation are not being preached. The preaching has been confined to the book of Acts where the New Testament doctrines are not even discussed. The book of Acts, the history of the early church. And, of course, the early church in Acts chapter 2 is completely Jewish with no Christians in it. Because as any serious student of the Bible knows, the term Christian occurs nowhere in his Bible till Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Without the preaching of the Word of God in regard to salvation, there is going to be no new births. You will notice the people that talk most about the new birth these days are the ones that don't even tell you how they got it. Did you notice that? The new birth is God's work. God begats the sinner. What does the sinner have to do for God to begat him? Oh, you weren't told that. And when you were told it, you were told it by some nut that thought that the basis for the begatting was a dunk in the water tub. But I tell you something, friend. That book says, As many as received him, that then he gave power to become the sons of God, even them that believe on his name, which were born, now the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. God doesn't grant the new birth, the spiritual resurrection, any sinner upon the face of this earth, till that sinner by an act of faith receives the Lord Jesus Christ as his righteousness, his atonement, his justification, and his salvation. All this talk today about so-and-so being born again, born again, born again, amounts to nothing if that born again wasn't a birth that God gave that man 
on the ground of the blood atonement of Jesus Christ. You better be careful these days. When I say careful, you better know what that book says and how it says it. You're living in the last days of the last church on this earth, the Laodicean church. You're living the day and age when the church is bragging about a spiritual revival, and all that's happening is that people are leaving the standard nominational churches and forming the greatest denomination of apostate Christians that ever lived. The greatest apostasy since the dark ages is taking place in America right now, and people drifting out of the standard nominational churches are forming a group whose absolute authority is humanism, loving people and getting along with people. And the authority of the Word of God is found nowhere in that practice, only in their creeds. The new birth is faith generated, generated by the hearing of the Word of God that saves the soul. In John 3, 5, we see, see, except a man be born of water, baptist born of the flesh is flesh, and of the Spirit, baptist born of the Spirit is spirit, cannot enter the kingdom of God. Spiritual life, then, is begotten by the Holy Spirit and is con never connected with the physical water birth. Water bringing forth life, and of course any man is 85% water, will wind up a man nowhere in the world, and that is why the term baptism never occurs in connection with the new birth. There is not a single past in either testament where water baptism is ever mentioned in connection with regeneration or the new birth. The new birth in John chapter 3, verse 1 to 8, is never connected with water baptism before the verses, during the verses, or after the verses. And the ancient pagan superstition taught in Carthage of North Africa by Augustine and by Eusebius and by Irenaeus to the effect that John 3 was a reference to water baptism was as vile and blatant a heresy that ever damned the soul of a poor hell-bound sinner. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the sinner and then to convert him to do the work of bringing him into the body of Christ by the new birth, and that cannot be done apart from the sinner receiving Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. If the sinner is counting on any work to save him, the new birth is absolutely impossible because it's made on the grounds of belief and faith in God's righteousness instead of your own righteousness. Or as the Pauline epistle so uh, carefully put it, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now from the divine side, the method of regeneration is God himself doing the work, begotten by God, deciding to give you the regeneration. Regeneration is a creative act on the part of God, not reformation by man. John 1.13 says, The new birth, the man who has been born again, is not born of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. Now, from the human side, although you cannot will the new birth, and you cannot accomplish the new birth, and you not, cannot produce the new birth, there is something you must do before God will produce the new birth in you. And, of course, it has nothing to do with water baptism. John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Holy Spirit is always very careful never to mention water baptism within 30 verses of the new birth. The new birth in John chapter 3, the new birth in John chapter 1, is conditioned upon believing on Christ and is separated completely from the physical water birth by a spiritual birth of the Holy Spirit. The author of regeneration is God. The channel of regeneration is Christ. The executive of regeneration is the Holy Spirit, 
the medium of regeneration is through receiving Christ by believing what God said about your inability to save yourself. To him that believeth, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Nothing could be any clearer, and only an unsaved elder or unsaved preacher could get it messed up by going to Acts chapter 2. That's why every unsaved preacher in this country is preaching Acts 2.38 as a phony plan of salvation. Because the new birth is not mentioned in Acts 2, justification is not mentioned in Acts 2, grace is not mentioned in Acts chapter 2, the finished atonement is not mentioned in Acts chapter 2, the spiritual circumcision is mentioned, not mentioned in Acts chapter 2. In short, there isn't one New Testament doctrine, revealed truth of New Testament salvation that has yet been revealed in Acts chapter 2. That's why every unsaved preacher in the country makes that his home base. Because he knows nothing about New Testament salvation. The author of the regeneration is God. And when Simon Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, he knows nothing about the new birth that hasn't been revealed to him. And the man who wrote about it, John, in the Gospel of John, doesn't write about it till 40 years after Peter's all through preaching in Acts chapter 2. To be born again, you must believe the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. And in 1 Peter 1.25, we read, This is the Word which by the Gospel is preached unto you. And, of course, when Simon Peter says that, he writes that after Acts chapter 15. We may say that conclusively without fear of rebuttal that the book of Acts is probably the greatest stumbling block to salvation in the 20th century, and more people have probably gone to hell and burned forever in Acts chapter 238 than any other place in the Bible outside of the Sermon on the Mount and the Ten Commandments. The way of the self-righteous sinner trying to justify himself is to pretend that the gospel of the grace of God is Acts 238, which, of course, it is not. As a matter of fact, when Simon Peter and Paul get together, Galatians 2, and decide what the gospel is, Acts chapter 15, they both agree that no man can repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They both agree in Acts 15 that a man is saved by grace plus nothing, and that a man receives the Holy Spirit by faith plus nothing, Galatians chapter 4. Now, as we said before, these are doctrinal matters that deal with the doctrines of New Testament salvation, properly called soteriology in the study of systematic theology, which simply means that in the last days it will be the saved people who will not endure sound doctrine and will reject these truths, the saved people as well as the lost people. When Paul says they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having, itchy, having itching ears, He's talking about people who know the difference between sound doctrine and false doctrine. Otherwise, they couldn't tell which was which to reject the sound doctrine. And since the unsaved man receiveth not the thing of the Spirit of God, for the foolish son, neither can he know him for the spiritual discern, the greatest rejectors of sound doctrine, the Laodicean church period before the second coming of Christ, will be babies in Christ who have received Christ and that are trying to work on their own salvation and get a part in it, and earn their salvation the rest of the way, they will reject the truths that you're hearing broadcast right now. Why? Because they're still self-righteous. The old carnal nature still has the upper hand. And by pretending that they're spiritual, they talk all the time about the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit, 
because their carnal nature is still trying to earn salvation. You say, are they saved or lost? The answer to that it would be, God only knows, brother. You might say that 30 percent of them are saved, 70 percent of them are lost, but no matter how you cut the cake, no matter what you do with that thing, the terrible truth remains that those people don't know the difference between the Jewish message preached in Acts 2 to the Jews as a nation and the gospel, the grace of God preached to get a sinner saved. They don't know the difference. When they pick up the Bible, something goes wrong with their rational and mental powers, and the God of this world twists the machinery to where they can't think straight. And these poor people get in there, and they don't even realize, and they read Acts chapter 2, that nobody in Acts chapter 2 even asks, what must I do to be saved? The question is not in Acts 2. You're living in a wild age, friend. Can you imagine a man teaching Acts 2.38 as the plan of salvation when nobody in the chapter even asked what to do to get saved? Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? As they say in our age, it's unreal, man. The gospel, the grace of God that Simon Peter finally got from Paul, Galatians 2, which they agreed upon in Acts 15, had nothing to do with Acts 2.38 at all. And anybody can find that out in 25 minutes with a dime store Bible. Now, what are the evidence of regeneration? Well, first of all, the first evidence is you love God. Then, secondly, you love the brethren. We know we've passed from life because death and life because we love the brethren. It doesn't say we love people to reject the Word of God. We love the brethren. Next of all, the born-again individual lives an overcoming life. Whoever is born of God overcometh the world. The born-again one believes that Jesus is the Christ. Whoever believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God. Our love springs up for God. Our love springs up especially for God's Word. Charity rejoices in truth. Evidence of the regeneration has found the fact that the people begin to love the Word of God. They don't revise it and go pick up everything that comes up and try to change it to suit their own fancy. They love it. They can say with David, Thy word is sweeter to my taste than honey. They can say with Job, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. The heart is changed. Sin is hated. Christ is loved. The life is changed. Old things pass away. All things become new. New and holy desires spring up like a well of living water. The new life overflows in love and good works toward God and toward others. The new birth is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. It is a secret work inside, John 3, 8, but it is evident by the fact that the man not only turns over a new leaf, but has a new life. Above all, it is manifest by a desire to learn the Word of God and love the Word of God and obey the Word of God. Above all, the man who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and not merely baptized by some uh, Holy Ghost of some kind, the man who has been regenerated by God's Holy Spirit loves the Word of God. Christ said, He that is of God heareth God's words. You hear them not because you're not a God. Christ said, He that loveth me will keep my words. Is it evidence primarily by a love for God, a love for God's Word, and thirdly, in that order, a love for God's people? Where the love for God's people is put ahead of the love of God, the love of His Word, you have the modern apostate fundamentalist or the heretical conservative who has denied the first commandment and has become a socialistic humanitarian. Where love for man or love for the brethren is substituted for love for God and God's book, you have the modern apostate fundamentalist 
who has thrown out his authority and is headed back to the pagan speculation of the African religion that teaches baptismal regeneration and the denial of the authority of God for the authority of man. May God save you from such a fate. May the Holy Spirit protect your love for God for his word so that you honor him and honor what he wrote and what he said and what he preserved. May the Lord bless you and good day.